I'm Noel King. It's Today Explained. The title of today's show is Joe Biden's Tampon Shortage. Come on, man. We are kidding. We're kidding. Not about shortages. There is a tampon shortage in the U.S. right now. There is no shortage of shortages. You've heard us talk about the baby formula. There's a sriracha shortage. There's a worker shortage. President Biden didn't do the tampon shortage, but that hasn't mattered for his job approval rating, which is around 33 percent. And according to a new poll from The New York Times, 64 percent of Democrats say they would prefer a different candidate next time around. Nothing is built, nothing is back, and nothing is better with this administration. Uh, This tampon shortage is impacting 34 million women across this country, and the prices are up at least 10 percent so far. Coming up, why you can't find tampons and why the president will take the blame. Give me a little break here. Support for Today Explained comes from BetterHelp. What do you do when your social battery is drained? Do you push through and silently resent your friends? I'm laughing because maybe. Or maybe just scream into a pillow all night. I (laughs) don't do that. But if you do, that's fine. Not, Not judging you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. You can find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit BetterHelp.com slash explain today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash explained. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Is literally everyone on their period, or what's going on here? Everyone isn't literally on their period. What's going on here is a tampon shortage so conspicuous that a question about it recently made the White House press briefing. There is a shortage of tampons, and just wondering if that is on the White House's radar. I mean, is that something that the White House is concerned, you know, could turn into a full-blown crisis? And are there any other sort of essential products that the administration is watching closely that could come down the pipeline as another shortage crisis? That's a great question. I would have to check in with the team on what they're tracking. Um, I don't have a list for you right now, but I would just have to track it with the team. It's Today Explained. I'm Noel King. Sharon Turlep of The Wall Street Journal covers consumer products, including tampons, easy to underestimate until they're hard to find, and a perfect avatar for our supply chain crises. Well, tampons, it's kind of important to know they're a simple product, they're a small product, but they're actually a somewhat high-tech product. They're made from something called a non-woven, which is layers of material that are bound together by a more complicated kind of substance than just, you know, clothes or toilet paper. More complicated than clothes? They're complicated and they require both plastics and cotton. And they need to be put together, so they require labor. 
So, you know, I'm not sure that the tampon shortage is much different from a lot of the other shortages that we've seen in terms of the causes. The plants all over are struggling to find labor. There's holdups getting raw materials. There was some kind of specific issues with one of the big tampon making factories. But largely this stands out because it's a product that a lot of people need and that's very personal and very important as opposed to, you know, say, sriracha or Gatorade. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit more about the holdups getting raw materials. What's going on there? Throughout the supply chain, there's this confluence of both extreme demand. I mean, all throughout the pandemic, we all bought a lot in America, all over the world. So we just bought more stuff. Retail sales jumped unexpectedly in August as the Delta variant caused Americans to once again change where they spend their money. And while we're buying more stuff, all the plants that are producing raw materials, sending things. There's these huge log jams in shipping. Containers aren't moving. Things are more expensive. And so you have both a huge increase in demand coupled with more complications making things. Can you explain the story of how the supply chain broke during the pandemic? So much of what we buy and the things that we use to make what we buy are based in countries that were just hit incredibly hard by COVID early on. Lines snake outside Beijing supermarkets as residents snap up groceries, panic buying over fears of a lockdown. In China, particularly, both obviously early in the pandemic, but just recently with the shutdown of Shanghai to try to contain COVID, there was just major disruptions. And that was kind of the start of things. And then along with these disruptions and the influx of demand, it's now harder to get things out of countries. And we see, you know, the cost of shipping in a shipping container go from $2,000 to $10,000. Higher costs also leads to supply shortages. So there's really been this domino effect that really started with COVID and then just got worse. For example, the diaper shortage so any type of disruption to a plant can lead to a shortage. And a lot of that goes back to how our manufacturing systems work, particularly in America. What else are we seeing shortages of in the U.S. right now? I could give you a couple of examples that seem like shortages to me, but you're the expert. What's actually in short supply? So microchips. So anything that requires a microchip, which is almost any electrical device these days, there's clearly been a big shortage in that. In the world of consumer goods, there's the shortage in baby formula, which is quite severe, also because it's a very essential product. There is a shortage in sriracha. Haifong Food says it has temporarily halted sriracha production, and the shortage could last through the summer. Here's something you don't see in many Colorado Springs stores lately, a decent supply of Gatorade. There's just shortages kind of sporadically in a lot of products. And so as a consumer, I'm tempted to stamp my foot and say, you know, it's been two and a half years. Why aren't we closer to normal? We have what I think a lot of supply chain experts have said and believe is a very brittle supply chain. You've probably heard the term just in time or lean manufacturing. An analogy that's frequently used with just in time involves water and rocks in a lake. Water represents inventory and the rocks represent problems. What we are to do is to drain the inventory until we expose a rock, and then we are to fix the problem. That really started decades ago. Initially in the auto industry, it was kind of popularized. One of the easiest and most common ways for companies to improve their profitability is to cut out waste. So that means they're not 
keeping things in inventory, which means their suppliers don't have big inventories. They don't have big warehouses full of stuff that's waiting to be used. So when there's a spike in demand, there's not all this excess kind of capacity and material around. And so if you have this happening for 20 years, one of the things companies are trying to do is make sure that they're not relying on just one supplier. When I covered the auto industry more than 10 years ago, there was a tsunami in Japan that affected a company that made a certain color of paint and it led to like a global auto shortage because nobody could make cars of this paint color because of this one plant. And so when you are really reliant on a small number of suppliers and when those suppliers have to keep inventory and capacity low, it's not easy to bulk up when that's needed. Is there an argument that the United States being a big country that is full of resources, that we should just start relying on ourselves and less on other countries so that we don't have to worry about supply chains. There are certainly people making that argument. Certainly there are companies that are doing that. If you look at numbers on what they would call reshoring, so that would be companies that had operations or factories overseas, bringing them back to the U.S. or even North America. That is definitely on the rise. There's a lot of advocates for that, a lot of manufacturing advocates. And I think it widely varies by industry, by company, how realistic that actually is. I said someday we're going to see Apple building plants in our country, not in China. The consumer electronics world was really never here. And so it's not a matter of bringing it back. It's a matter of starting it here. We've definitely seen the chip companies bring operations back here because that's a case where there's high margin products and the stakes are very high when there's supply chain issues. So we've seen that in the consumer products world. Um, we're seeing some, particularly in the in the area of like fragrances and perfumes, some of that business being brought back here. So there's definitely pockets where that's happening. There are a lot of states that are really trying to position themselves. Ohio is a state that's has a whole initiative designed to try to bring back suppliers and manufacturers to the U.S. There's there's a lot of manufacturing onshoring or reshoring. And then there's economic development activity. We've never seen this level of activity here in central Ohio. Ohio is better for businesses and employees because we're not built for followers. We're building for leaders. Are we going to get better at predicting the next shortage? Why haven't we, after two and a half years, gotten any better at predicting what's going to be the next thing that's difficult to find? I think part of it is that this is uncharted territory. I mean, certainly there's been pandemics and there's been weather disasters and you know inflation has happened before, but all at once, these are dynamics that haven't been seen. And I think like, you know, a lot of the forecasting is just, it's gotten very hard to forecast and predict and also difficult to respond quickly. And so if I ask you, when will the shortages end? Are you just going to laugh at me? Early in the pandemic, I cover Clorox and Clorox would say, you know, we think wipes will be in better supply and they give a date and that date would come. And I think companies very quickly learned that you really can't predict, partly because there's so many things disrupting the supply chains. So you can have a plan to bring extra suppliers online. You can have a plan to hire X workers in X amount of time, but it's almost impossible to predict when that will happen. Who is going to get blamed for all of this, for the shortages of tampons and other things? It seems like politically, 
who's ever in charge, just as kind of the rule of human behavior will be who gets blamed. Let's get this straight. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how long consumer memories are on this stuff. I mean, certainly with toilet paper and paper towel, I, I don't think consumers held a grudge against the companies that make those. I think they see these circumstances as really unusual. It'll be interesting to see how long this stays in the mind of consumers. And possibly good for President Biden if all of our memories are just a little bit shorter on this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty-five thousand Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile. Big improvements can make your past behavior look absolutely wild, says Mint Mobile, targeting all of us personally. And Mint Mobile wants to do that with your phone bill. Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. And in retrospect, you might feel a little silly about how much you were paying before. Plus, according to Mint Mobile, all of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's biggest 5G network. You can get this new customer offer and your three-month unlimited wireless plan for just $15 a month by going to mintmobile.com explained. That's mintmobile.com explained. You can cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. $45 upfront payment required. Do the math. That's equivalent to $15 a month. This is for new customers on their first three-month plan only. Speeds are slower, above 40 gigabytes on this unlimited plan. And additional taxes, fees, and restrictions do apply. See Mint Mobile for those details. Support for the show today comes from Delete Me. Your personal information is online. So is mine. I don't think I'm breaking any news by saying that, but you might be surprised to know just how much of your information is available not only for people to see, but to sell as well. And that's where Delete Me comes in. Delete Me wants to help you keep things such as your name, number, home address, and other private information out of the hands of data brokers. I've never personally kept my information out of the hands of data brokers, but perhaps Vox's business team's Claire White has. Removing the data that Delete Me found was super easy because I didn't have to do anything. They already removed my information across sites that they deemed as unsafe. I truly did not have to lift a finger. You can take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me Now at a special discount for our listeners. You can get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeleteme.com slash today and use the promo code today at checkout. Again, you can get 20% off by going to joindeleteme.com slash today and enter the code TODAY at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash TODAY. The code is TODAY. Bye-bye, pads. New Petal Soft Tampax tampons. So easy to use, it'll get you off pads forever. 
Today Explained, we're back. Robert S. McIlvain is a professor of history at Millsaps College in Mississippi. He's a historian of the Great Depression. And right after the Great Recession, he wrote a piece in Politico that included this crisp observation. When there is an economic collapse in the United States, the main factor that determines who Americans blame is timing, meaning the person who is unlucky enough in that moment to be the president is going to take the hit. Have you seen anything down there in Mississippi that you think personally blames Joe Biden for what's happening with the economy and the state of the country right now? Well, in Mississippi, uh, the um, vast majority of white people would blame Joe Biden for anything at any time. So (laughs) that's probably not a very good gauge. The president still tries to spin it as the economy is doing good. Mississippians aren't buying that. It is not doing good in Mississippi or anywhere else in the country. But certainly people blaming Biden seems to be uh, spreading across the country. The person who's in charge is kind of the easiest target, uh, regardless of whether the president at a given time uh, has that much to do with it. He's seen as the one in charge of the economy. Joe Biden gave a talk this morning, blamed everybody else on inflation. He took no responsibility and has no plan. Presidents um, certainly have something to do with the economy, but usually not all that much. Uh, What they do is create the conditions in which the market can operate and the economy can grow. Um, But a lot of other things intervene, and sometimes when something goes wrong, it is the president's fault, sometimes it isn't. Does an American president have any control over a globalized economy in which we rely on very long supply chains for very basic things? Not that much. Um, This is, uh, of course, something that's been developing over decades of much more globalization, depending on uh, manufacturers in other parts of the world. And the pandemic uh, disrupted that enormously. Good afternoon, and we're coming on the air because right now, President Biden is set to sign his landmark $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. And uh, some of the things that uh, the Biden administration did uh, have contributed to inflation. Democrats, independents, our Republican friends have made it clear, the people out there made it clear they strongly support the American Rescue Plan. Although I think the vast majority of the inflation is from other causes, but uh, the spending programs, uh, they really started under Trump during the pandemic. The single biggest economic relief package in American history, and I must say, or any other package, by the way. But uh, then were furthered under Biden, were essential for people to be able to uh, uh, survive and uh, relatively prosper during those terrible times in the pandemic. But the result of that was uh, a good deal of pent-up demand. President Biden has uh, done some things to deal with supply chain problems. Uh, For instance, uh, last year in the latter part of the year with Christmas coming, uh, doing things to uh, allow the ships uh, off California to uh, be unloaded more quickly, um, getting uh, 24-hour shifts and that sort of thing. President Biden says a deal has been worked out. So not only will the port and unions start operating 24-7, major companies like FedEx and UPS will also expand their hours. But one of the problems there is that 
Uh, in the political situation, uh, his opponents don't want, don't really want the problem to be solved. I mean, probably the most striking example of this was Senator Rick Scott, who was the chairman of the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, a few months ago said, inflation is a gold mine for us. He was gleeful about it. People are suffering and paying more. And the senator from Florida says it's a gold mine for the Republicans. So with the uh, Congress as evenly divided as it is, it's very difficult to get things done. When have we seen this before? When have we seen economic turmoil and a president blamed for it? The largest economic collapse occurred under Herbert Hoover back in starting in 1929 and going into the 1930s. But uh, he came in saying that we are within sight of the day when, with the help of God, poverty will be forever banished from the land. Well, a year later, it was another P word that was banished from the land, prosperity. Uh, the stock market crashed and caused the Great Depression, but it did signal great weakness in the economy. Hoover tried to deal with it. The federal government is taking its part in the aid to unemployment through the advancement and enlargement of public works in all parts of the nation. But one of the problems with Hoover was that he was a, a true believer in certain things, in, in classical economics, uh, in balanced budgets. Hoover didn't actually say this, but what his policy amounted to was take the idea, because he thought there was only one, try it. If it doesn't work, try it again. If it doesn't work, try it again and again and again. He wouldn't change. Hoover was never willing to uh, spend the way uh, things were needed uh, for the economy. He also believed that any kind of direct relief to people would uh, make them dependent and lazy, and so he didn't want to do that. The Democratic Party has been an effort to implant in the unthinking mind through deliberate misrepresentation the colossal falsehood that the Republican Party is responsible for this worldwide catastrophe. By the time the election in 1932 came along, Hoover had been presiding over an economic disaster for three years, and it was clear to people that he was to blame, if not for the start of it, for not uh, solving it. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is Fear itself. FDR wiped the floor with Hoover in that election, and then you zoom ahead a couple decades, and President Jimmy Carter dealt with both inflation and shortages, including a gas shortage. Like Joe Biden, he got blamed. Did Carter deal with it well? Well, Carter came in and uh, tried to deal with the inflation in a variety of ways. He gave uh, speeches, uh, but he was not very good in speaking over television. None of that did that much good. Eventually, in 1979, he gave a televised address, which came to be called the Malaise speech, although he never used the word Malaise in the speech. Too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, 
but by what one owns. He was kind of right about it, that people had gotten selfish and materialistic. Uh, but the way it came across is he was blaming the American people. That is not the way to, uh, to win in such a situation. Middle class families had been struggling for a decade before I came into office. I'd like to contrast that uh, with the situation with the collapse in 2008. Uh, Obama came in, and even at the time I was writing about uh, the, the timing of this is not good because um, George W. Bush was presiding over it, but it was going to continue into Obama's uh, early term. For 19 months, what we have done is steadily worked to avoid a depression, to take an economy that was contracting rapidly and start making it grow again. People's memories would be that Obama had been president while this was going on. So timing is very important. Okay, so the economy took down Herbert Hoover. It took down Jimmy Carter. What does history suggest will happen to Joe Biden and the Democrats in the 2022 midterms? The situation is not at all good uh, for Democrats. There are several things going on right now that I think give Democrats an opportunity if they could get their message together, which Democrats have a very hard time doing, hardly ever can. In addition to the questions about saving democracy, you have a couple of other really big issues, one being abortion. Abortion has always helped Republicans in the years, uh, not immediately after the Roe decision, but going a few years after that, because the people who were one-issue voters on abortion were those who wanted to end women's control over their own bodies. And women and men who believe that women own their own bodies are much more likely to vote on that than they have in the past. The gun issue is also going to be something that's very big. There are others as well that I think taken together could counteract the economic uh, difficulties. One other thing about the economic situation itself, things change rapidly as we've uh, seen, for instance, with Putin's invasion changing a lot of things. There's still, uh, what is it, about five months, a little less than five months. Inflation is going to still be bad by Election Day, but if it is moving in the right direction, I think it will be a less powerful issue by that time. Professor Robert McElvain. He has a new book out called The Times They Were a Change in, 1964, the year the 60s arrived and the battle lines of today were drawn. Today's show was produced by Tori Dominguez and Halima Shah. It was edited by Amina El Sadi and Matthew Collette. It was fact-checked by Laura Bullard. It was engineered by Paul Mounsey. It's Today Explained. I'm Noelle King. Bye-bye, Pads. Bye-bye, Pads. 